for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. Are you ready for some TNA? My friends and I aren't your average blackjack players. We're all APs, which, if you don't know, stands for advantage player. As in, we play with a mathematical edge or advantage over the house. Yep. Card counters. That would be us. On this podcast, I'm going to bring you true life stories about the AP life. There'll be stories of all the times we fucked up. Stories when we made out like bandits. Stories of losing more in one session than a lot of people make in a year. Stories of getting backed off in one shoe. Stories of average shows out here doing this card counting thing with some of us crushing it and some of us just making our way through it. So if this is the kind of shit you want to hear, well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. And welcome to the TNA Podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm your host for this little shindig. On this episode of our attempt at Imaginary Radio, we bring you part two of our mailbag episode with Nichols. If this is the kind of stuff you want to hear, well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Should a new AP break off from just traditional blackjack counting adventure onto things like counting side bets? I would say whenever that feels like something you want to do, like you can make money just counting cards. There's like there's you don't have to get into other things. I think it's good to, uh, especially if you're going full time, it's good to have other tools in your belt, so to speak. But you don't necessarily ever have to move on to something else. So I, I think that's just a personal decision. Is that something you want to do? If it is, then try to learn things about other games like counting side bets. And if it's and if you're content with counting cards, then by all means, keep at it. Right. Also, I would say a lot of people get eager to add all these new things. Make sure you're really good at the base thing you're doing before you add more stuff on top of it. Absolutely. You're probably going to be adding a, a side count when you're doing side bets like that. If you can't convert your running count to true count automatically, don't don't add more stuff till you get that down. Yeah, if you can't count high-low yet, then you don't need to focus on the other stuff. Yeah. You got to learn to walk before you can learn to run. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I think that pretty much answers that question. How much does it really cost a player to keep playing when the count goes negative versus wonging out like a counter would? 
is it worth the extra heat that the wonging may cause? I would say run the sim in CVCX or the pro betting software, whichever one you have access to, and you will see how much it costs you from that. And there's no reason you can't play all. That That's mostly what I've done with card counting, is playing all counts instead of wonging in. And of course, when you say you're going to do a play all strategy, you end up still wonging out of several of them. But if you just run the sim and see what the game's worth play all versus what the game's worth wonging, you'll know what it costs you or if it costs you anything at all because it might cost you in terms of like the size of your edge but it might actually cost you ev to not be playing right to be standing around watching like you have to think about how many rounds how many positive rounds per hour am i going to play right right and is that going to be greater wonging or is that going to be greater playing all certainly if you're wonging you're going to play a higher percentage of your rounds with a positive expectation but there's some situations where that's just not practical and you're going to cost yourself more EV by standing around trying to back count than you would if you just played a heads up game and played all counts and played as fast as you could and you know say it's a shoe game and a shoe game it's reasonable to play 200 rounds an hour I wouldn't say it's the norm because there's some pretty slow dealers out there but you know you get a fast dealer is it going to be worth more to you to play 200 rounds an hour and play all counts with a bigger bet spread or is it going to be worth more to you to watch other people play and observe, you know, maybe 100 rounds an hour, probably even slower than that because gamblers take a long time and and then maybe not even be able to get on the table because somebody else sat down before it got positive, you know. Especially especially to your last point there in the COVID era, that's even harder because there's right. limit, limited seats and uh, limited tables. and Right, if it's only three people to a table and there's two people playing and you're standing there back counting and you're not quite at your trigger point to jump in yet, someone jumps in and then it hits your trigger point, well, then you just waste the time. And that's, you know, and that's not going to happen every time, but it's a consideration. I think the way to go about figuring out whether playing all is worth it for you is to run the sim and see what that does to your EV and also to your risk of ruin and your N0, because those are important too. Yes. That's half the question. He also wanted to know, is it worth the heat? He's saying, is it worth the heat to back count? To act like a counter, wonging out and wonging in. Well, you're going to be acting like a counter no matter what you do. If you're back counting, it looks bad because you're never playing the negative situations. If you're playing all, it looks bad because your bet spread's so big. Right. I don't think there's really a good way to compare the heat between the two because I think it's almost identical. It might be a little different. In fact, I think you might even get less heat wonging in all the time because you're not going to be spreading your bet so massively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately I don't think there's a major difference. Maybe to one casino they take less kindly to one form of play or another, but it's almost impossible to know that ahead of time. I would say the heat's like not even a consideration when you're talking about that. I, I agree with you. But that's just what he asked. So I, I completely yeah. agree with you. It's all situational. And again, situations like that, like you just mentioned about how one casino may be more partial to back counting or the ramping or whatever your network is huge in little details like that and that's something you would share with somebody you trust not somebody that's just asking for information that you don't know right right, right. going back to the networking question earlier that's absolutely true so, right and in some places it's not even about how you're playing it's about how much you win I, i've seen a few like casino manager operation manuals and sometimes those things will just say if someone wins this much in a day 
back them off, mm-hmm. which is, you know, moronic from the casino's perspective. But if you know that ahead of time, and let's say, for example, that that threshold is, I don't know, $4,000. Well, when you're up 3500 get up and leave and come back tomorrow. Yeah, because those thresholds that are in the manual, like you said, that forces someone to do their job. They probably really don't care about your 4000 but they know that when you hit 4000 they have to do their job. You're at 35 they probably still don't, you know, leave, you know. Yeah. Don't force someone to do their job. You know? Yeah. Don't punch them in the face where they got to fight back, you know. Yeah. But, but yeah, so that's a that's a good example of why our networks are so important to us as advantage players. That's a good way to tie that in. Right. So the next thing he asked should he assume that if he gets backed off, that the back off itself is confirmation that he's playing a winning game? And I, I know what you're going to say, but I'll let you say it. The answer is no. It's a fairly good predictor of that, but it's not necessarily the case that they only back off someone who's playing a winning game. Like I just said with the right. operations manual, they back someone off for a certain win threshold. I remember one place that I've played at a lot, 86 two people, because they won a bunch of money playing Bacher. Yeah. And they were not standing around like counting the side bets or anything. They were just straight gamblers playing the max bet, which was obviously a bigger bet than that casino could really handle if they were going to 86 them for it. And, you know, they went on a good run and they 86 the people instead of doing what the casino should have done and said, hey, why don't you stay with us tonight? We'll get you a room so that they play longer and get to the long run, which would favor the casino. On their negative EV game. I have been Mm -hmm. backed off on Baccarat. It was because I was was comp hustling on it, but right. that's, a whole, that's a whole other story. I think I've told you that story before. Yeah, I've seen people get backed off because they thought they were taking advantage of a side bet just because the guy got lucky. I've heard stories of people getting backed off for martingaling. Anytime, and especially on blackjack, like if a customer's bet is moving a lot, whether it's with the count or not, some places, if they don't have someone who can count the guy down, they'll just toss him anyways. I don't think a back off in and of itself is confirmation that you're playing a winning game. I think if you want confirmation that you're playing a winning game, you should have somebody test you out. Absolutely. Or at the very least, if you're a BGA member, use the software to test you out. Right, right. Or if you have Casino Verite, right, you can test yourself out on that. There you go. On a side note, and I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this, any serious uh, AP should have Casino Verite. Really, right. You need to have simulation software and you need to have practice software. Absolutely. The next question, what are the obvious body language signs or general habits? that a newer AP would have that they might want to avoid being picked off as a counter. So there's uh, there's a lot of them and I don't think they're exclusive to newbies. Some of them are, but a lot of them are not. One is if you go in there and and you know, you're not comfortable, you, you're seeing ghosts, you think everybody knows what you're doing yeah. and you're paranoid and you're like looking around and really shifty eyed, that's not a good look because they might not have ever looked at your game or looked at you at all, but because you look out of place and shifty eyed like you're up to something, now they're going to take a look at you. Yes. The biggest thing is just unavoidable and that's that's your bet spread. Like you have to spread to beat the game and most places, well places that know what they're doing, that's all they're looking at is, oh, he's spreading his bet with the count, get him out of here. Absolutely. Uh, as far as some other like body language things though or maybe casino comportment things, just generally being out of place whether it's being shifty eyed or like maybe you thought to yourself, oh 
well, I want them to think that I can afford to bet what I'm betting, so I'm going to dress up. Well, don't dress up in a suit and go play a $5 table. In fact, don't dress up in a suit and go play a quarter table either because it just looks out of place. You know, it's not the old days where people wore a suit every time they went out. And, you know, I mean, you'll find a few people wearing a suit or something in a casino, but generally um, people are not dressed up to go to the casino and it looks kind of out of place. That doesn't mean that you have to be a slob. Just, you know, be aware of what the average customer is wearing. And two other things come to mind. One of them is buying in for way too much for the table limits. Mm-hmm. Like someone shows up to a 5 or $10 game and they buy in for $1,000 and then they ask for 200 in red and start betting 5 or $10. That, that looks really bad. Yes. On a quarter game, you know, you come and you buy in for two or $3,000 and start betting $25 a hand. To an outside observer, that makes no sense unless this person is planning on being there for a long time and or is expecting really big fluctuations. Mm-hmm. And what kind of person is going to expect those kind of fluctuations? Well, somebody who knows what they're doing and it's just a bad look. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you completely. Me and somebody I work with locally had this discussion the other day, actually. But to your point there, that's where a chip inventory comes in handy. Again, your network, if you're in a market that's not your home market, somebody in your network who you can buy chips from. So you have those in your pocket, when oh, you them, but you don't have to buy in for you know $1,000 on a quarter table. And then you're betting quarters for the next five shoes, 10 shoes till it, you have a chance to ramp. Right. Uh, you can just like break down a purple and then have the blacks to bet. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes things a lot easier on that front. And, and then another thing on the casino comportment front, because I said I had two things that came to mind. So one was what we just talked about with buying in for way too much. And the other one, getting caught in a lie when you give them some phony job, right? They ask, what do you do for a living? Absolutely don't tell them you're a card counter. That's probably not the way to go. <laughs> probably. If you're just playing part-time and you do have a regular job, you don't have to tell them exactly what your job is, especially if it wouldn't explain how much you're betting, but at least stick to something in that field that you know some jargon and you can bullshit about. Mm-hmm. Like If you're not a trucker, don't tell them you're a trucker because you're not going to be able to answer questions about driving trucks. Right. The reason you want to tell them you're a trucker is that it explains why you're in this town. One example would be, and this wasn't even a card counting thing. This was something else. It was still advantage play, but it was not card counting. And this casino employee just assumed that I was a truck driver. She didn't ask me what I did for a living. She just said, how long have you been driving truck for? Mm -hmm. And I decided to go along with it. Thankfully, this person didn't know that much about the trucking industry, so I could kind of skirt around it. She didn't call me out on any of the BS, but uh, I was definitely caught a few times with questions where if it was someone who actually knew what they were asking me about, they would have known I was full of shit. And then they would have suspected you. Then they would figure that I'm not there for the reasons that I should be there. Yeah, right. Why is he lying to me about this? Why would yeah, he must be lying about everything he's doing here. Yeah. You recommended people just say something adjacent to what they're, they do. Yeah. Like, something like say something they, they know enough about to bullshit about something where they, they know the jargon, know what the challenges of the job are, etc. And that's if you're going to answer it at all. The other way to go is to just not respond to the question. Yeah. I've frequently, when a casino employee tries to start a conversation like that, just sort of given them a series of grunts. Yeah. Yeah. 
Eh, until they go away. You can just ignore the question. It depends on where you're at. I would do that at a place where they have something else to do. If, if I'm at a small place and they, you know, they have one table and I'm the only person playing, it's just going to be too tough to do that for very long, at least for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if in terms of heat or anything, if that's going to change anything, it might. But mostly it's just like a small place like that. It's better to, I think, establish a rapport with those people. I've actually been in situations where the boss will ask questions like that. And I know that they're leading questions. I know exactly what he's trying to get at. So in those situations, I think saying nothing is not a good idea. And they might not even suspect you of card counting. They might expect you of something more nefarious, yeah. which isn't a good idea. So that's a good point. I'll go to the extent of sometimes getting a, a minor league hat for the location there, because then you really do look like a local. You know, anybody anywhere in the country could access, say, a major league baseball team's hat. But how many people really would have access to or care about a minor league team's hat unless they were local to that area? Yeah, Tulsa Drillers or something hat. Yeah, yeah or yeah. the Reno Aces, which uh, in, in Reno and Vegas, I don't know if you want to be a local, but just an example. This guy called Johnny Cash says, and I assume it's not the real Johnny Cash because he's dead. (laughs) And if it is, very impressed, Johnny. (laughs) He said he was playing four and a half hours and was up $500. The pit boss said the next shoe would be the last of the night. And he asked if it's a bad thing that he chose not to play the next shoe and just take the win, which I think is kind of a dumb question, but maybe something someone needs to hear. What do you think? So I guess it depends on what the reason was for not playing the last shoe. If the reason was because you are superstitious and felt like, oh, I'm going to give it back and all of that, then yeah, you you probably should have stuck it out and played because all you ended up doing was costing yourself EV. You don't know how that shoe is going to go. Mm-hmm. If the reason was rather something like, for my own mental health, I would like to lock up a win tonight, I think that's perfectly okay. I've done that not so much in that exact situation. And I wouldn't make a habit of doing this because if you do it too much, you're costing yourself more money money, right? You cost yourself more money every time you say, no, I don't want to play for this reason. But the swings of this game do take a toll on your mental health. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, it does feel good to just lock up a win. So I don't think there's any shame in calling it a night early or calling it a trip a little bit early um, just because you want to do something good for your mental health so that you're not going insane. But if the real reason is that you're superstitious about, oh, I won all this and that's more than I was expected to and now I'm going to give it back, well then no, that's not the way to think about things. Mm-hmm. The mental health aspect. I think that's what he was getting at. Yeah. If it was for your own sanity, then I think that's perfectly fine, especially if it's just one shoe, as opposed to calling it a trip early when you still have 30 more hours you planned on playing on. I will admit that more than once, I just got buried thousands and thousands of dollars the first couple of shoes. And then I fought back to even, and I've actually left a place up two bucks. And I said, I'm done. Like you just said, yeah, I left EV on the table there, I'm sure. But I was there many hours just not to leave with a loss there after being down you know what i mean right absolutely i've done the same thing maybe this is a bad habit of mine but i like putting a a green entry in my spreadsheet versus a red entry so (laughs) i don't know Uh, yeah i've i've done the same thing several times especially with games like video poker oh yeah i mean it's really tough to keep playing after you hit a royal you want to lock that in because winning sessions don't come around super often on video poker so i i can definitely relate to it on that and with blackjack there's been times i've been you know stuck five figures and then pull it back out and as soon as i cross that threshold and the count was no longer positive i was like okay i'm done for the night i can't can't take any more 
back and forth tonight. Yes. Or at the very least go and stop and eat or do something right. and get back to it. Yeah. So so to answer the question, I think that's fine as long as it was for that reason and not for any superstitious reason. So maybe that wasn't a stupid question. Good good question there, buddy. A listener noticed that the BGA strategy for stand 17 says to double a seven verse two, while the Wizard of Oz says to stand. There can only be one perfect play, which is correct at true zero. So this topic has not specifically with regards to a seven versus two, but that's been one of them. But this topic of the differences in strategy has come up a lot lately. So before I get specifically into a seven versus two, I want to explain for a second why the blackjack apprenticeship basic strategy might look different from another one. To my understanding, and he can correct me if I get any piece of this wrong, the way that Colin went about doing a basic strategy for specifically for the blackjack apprenticeship program was to have a strategy that will be acceptable for all games. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it's kind of a composite strategy. It's not a stra- it's not specifically for hit 17 double after split. It's It's not specifically for stand 17 double after split. It's not specifically for six deck or two deck or four deck. It's supposed to be kind of a composite thing that you can work off of. And then you can learn the deviations later and that'll clarify the differences between hit 17 and stand 17. So sometimes there are plays that the difference between the best play and the second best play is really close. A7 versus two is one example of that. In the hit 17 game, it is a double. In the stand 17 game, the correct play by basic strategy is to stand. Mm-hmm. However, the index to double a seven versus two is zero plus. You double that at any positive count, just like you always, like just like sixteen versus ten with the hit stand decision. Right. So the reason the basic strategy chart listed as a double is because that chart's not specifically for stand seventeen, and it's going to cost more for you to fail to double that hand in the hit seventeen game than it is going to cost for you to incorrectly double that hand in a stand seventeen game. Right. Yeah. Right. And since the index is positive, even if you weren't using that deviation, but you were using the BJA chart, you would be correct in doubling when it mattered more. When you have more money out there, it would cost you more money to not double that in a positive situation than it would cost you to double it in a negative situation where you're betting your minimum bet or maybe not even playing at all. Gotcha. So to answer the question, basic strategy is to stand in in the stand 17 game. Yeah. The, that's a good answer. I'm sure people would argue with that. And I actually, what you said about Colin, I, 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 that's my understanding too of the, the way that his chart's designed. Right. And if you really want to get into the more specific strategies, Wizard of Odds has, I, I think Wizard of Odds even has a basic strategy calculator where you can just plug in the rules of the game and the number of decks and it'll give you the correct basic strategy, doesn't it? I, I, I at, don't know. I've at, been, the very I've least, you, at the very least, you can look up just about any game type you might encounter and find the correct strategy. And what you'll find is that the differences aren't all that many. And if you have any specific questions about single deck strategy, feel free to send me a private message. I've said this on the BJA forums before. I really enjoy talking about little intricacies like standing on a pair of sevens against the ten. Yeah. But I don't want to clutter up the forums and make things more confusing for newbies either. Yeah, I get you. I got you. That's 
and it's fascinating to me the whole sevens because the sevens were removed and it's a stand and all that stuff just on the single deck game so I, right. i'm right with you on that right it's interesting but it's also not worth so much that bja needs to make a separate strategy for it yeah because single deck games are not only rare ones that are playable are extremely rare so right and if it is playable i mean you don't need to know every single thing about single deck strategy i mean you can slaughter it with basic strategy and a one to four spread or something you know because mm-hmm. the game's right. just that vulnerable right exactly which is why there's not very many of them yeah there was a, a pretty good one up this way um pre-covid that you know they even had late surrender on it yeah i think uh, i know where that one is yeah i'm sure you uh, do i'm not gonna put it on blast but i know where that one is it's not there right now because of uh they don't have as mm-hmm. many tables open but uh yeah i'm not gonna put it on blast either that's all the questions that I have written down. Do you have anything you'd like that maybe a, a newer player would want to learn or your younger self wish you asked, that kind of thing? So there is a question, and this this is coming from Blackjack the Discord. It was a topic of conversation earlier today, and I realized that this, that this topic actually does come up once in a while. I remember having this same thought when I was new, so I thought I would go into it. Gotcha. So this particular person was curious about when the dealer peaks for Blackjack. So he, he was wondering if there were any reliable tells of whether the whole card is small or big when they do that. You know, and it's a good question. If they if they can in fact see the card is there any way to capitalize on the dealer having that information you know to someone who's played long enough you kind of discard that as well that's kind of a silly question they don't know what card is down there they only know if it's a blackjack or not but it's a question that a lot of people have when they're starting out for understandable reasons and so the answer to it is that no they generally only know if it's a 10 or an ace right if they have a 10 up they put it in the peaker and even if it's a mirror down there the cards are manufactured in such a way that when they put the card with the 10 up directly into the mirror, Mm-hmm. They will only know if there is an ace or a non-ace. They won't have any other information besides that. And if they know it's an ace, the hand's over because they have blackjack. And if they have an ace up and they turn it ten. sideways mm-hmm. to peak, they're only going to see the index of the card to know if it's a 10 or a non-10. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a good one because a lot of people do seem to have that question starting out. And it's one I didn't really think about until today when this conversation was taking place on Discord. One caveat to that is right when the casinos reopened after COVID, I was playing at this place and their battery on their peaker on one of their tables was broken. So the red light wasn't coming on. So they okay. were manually checking them. So yes. I noticed right off the bat, if the guy had a, a face card, it was quick, peak quick. If it wasn't a face card or an ace, he looked a little longer. So granted, I didn't know what card he had, but it still gave me enough information to have a little bit of an edge. Yeah, if, if they're manually peaking, you can absolutely find ways to take advantage of that for sure and in blackjack tournaments they often play off the floor and so they won't have the peaker set up there they have to manually peak i've played in several tournaments where that's an advantage too (laughs) you know because if you notice how long they they peek at the card or even beyond that sometimes they just they don't have a good poker face they check it they're like oh you can see the oh shit on their face because you know they don't want their players to lose or they don't want to have blackjack or 20 or whatever or maybe Uh, they do want the player to lose because they don't like him because he's not tipping and he's a card counter yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> but you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, I agree with you, what you're saying, and you're absolutely right. They don't know, and that's why they have those devices like the mirror and the right. the red light. So the 
you can't read the dealer's face. Because I imagine back before they had those, maybe there's dealers that liked a guy or not. And he might say, you might want to buy insurance or he might give him a look, a little wink, right? Right. Uh, well, and and, and they had problems with spooking, right? People would go stand behind where their line of vision was looking at the dealer's down card. So when they would peek, they'd si- signal their friend at the table what the card was. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, sp- spooking was a problem as well. Like there's a lot of reasons most places don't manually peek anymore. But if you do happen to find one, you can take advantage of that. Just not when they have the little peeking devices. Right. Which is what you were getting at. I just wanted to right. mention that caveat. But I agree with you mm-hmm. completely under most circumstances. But it uh, brings a point up to me that you got to be aware of situations like that that you stumble upon and take advantage of them when you can. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, thanks for coming on, Nichols. Yep. Thanks again for having me. Happy to be on here. I'm sure we'll have you on again down the road. Well, folks, that's going to be it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed another fine contribution to the show from BGA Pro Nichols. And I also want to give a much-deserved shout-out to my producer, Mickey Brisk. Thanks for all your help in making me sound good, man. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the felt. Here's a few messages from our sponsors. Find your paradise. Go to visitlasvegas.com. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkward will be a thing of the past and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had stop hiding and start living with tequila tequila may not be right for everyone women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila however women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it side effects may include dizziness nausea vomiting incarceration erotic lustfulness loss of motor control loss of clothing loss of money loss of virginity delusions of grandeur table dancing headache dehydration dry mouth and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker through their dare and naked twister Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding. And start living with tequila. Tequila! By the fact 
that you're listening to a podcast about blackjack and advantage play. It's clear that you're interested in this topic and most likely interested in becoming the best blackjack player you can become. Now, I suppose there are exceptions to this. Like, for example, maybe you're an uninterested significant other trapped in the car listening to this. Or maybe you're a kid trapped in the car forced to listen to this because your phone is dead and you can't tune out the world with your headphones in like you normally would. And by the way, kids, I apologize for all the F-bombs that I've dropped on this show. Please don't follow my example. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't like money and you want to continue to play blackjack and not make your game better. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, by all means, tune out and don't listen to a word that I have to say right here. But if you want to learn how to be the best blackjack player you can be, learn and grow your game, I suggest you check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. They offer what is, in my opinion, not only a world-class education on the game of blackjack, but the absolute best education you can find anywhere for this game. They offer online training drills, a supportive community, as well as other exclusive tools that are critical to your success. Even if you already know the ins and outs of this game and don't really need the training they offer per se. That's great. I'm kind of in that boat myself and I imagine there are several others of you that are as well. So even for people like us, just the opportunities and networking alone that this site offers is worth the price of admission and then some. I also can't stress enough that it is a wonderful and supportive community of other APs. There is almost no trolling in the forums there. So once again, I urge you to check out blackjackapprenticeship.com if you're serious about growing your game. 